0: Hello and welcome to Connection Life Ministries podcast. Thank you for taking a moment to listen to God's Word. Today's podcast is from Jesus Pursuit Church in Albany, Oregon. Danny Klein, pastor emeritus and founder of Jesus Pursuit Church, is our speaker. Good morning. Well, yep, it's yeah, still morning. Um, just a... Uh, correction on the date uh it's actually august 13th for the block party because that's the saturday it's not on a friday it's on a saturday which is august 13th just to let you know um wow that was a that was an amazing testimony karen about uh giving this morning I'd, i'd never heard that before so keith if you want another raise uh You know what to do. (laughs) So anyway. I love the Kerner tribe, man. They are just amazing family. Um, A couple weeks ago, Nathaniel uh, gave a message. And I had never heard, you know, I'd never looked it up before. And he, he kind of threw me for a loop when he talked about Three kinds of Word of God, you know, and one of them being phony. I said, what? What do you mean by that? And, and it actually was not literally, didn't say the Word of the Lord. It actually was, comes from Hebrews where it says, Today if you hear His voice, God speaking His Word to you, His voice, don't harden your hearts. And so I looked it up, and in fact it is, voice there it actually is spelled like phone, phone. So that, that's where he got that. And anyway, it was an inspiring message. But interestingly enough, during that time when uh, he was given the message, the Lord spoke to me and said, the currency of heaven is faith and is backed up by the blood of Jesus. And I, I've just been chewing on that all week. And so I want to talk about the blood of Jesus. You know, it's no surprise that... Uh, Christianity is sometimes an offense to people and I can understand why it was so offensive to some of the people back in Paul's day when you start talking about the blood and things like that people go ooh I don't know about that stuff you know it's like I don't really want to hear that and but you know this this whole thing of the blood of Jesus is so important to what we believe to how we actually are able to function and overcome and live our life in Jesus. And so I want to talk about the blood of Jesus today, but I want to talk about it in in connection to faith. And we know that uh, the definition of faith in Hebrews is that faith is a certainty of things hoped for and a proof of things not seen. For by it, people gained approval. People of old gained approval. I think that's interesting that People historically gained approval, not from success or receiving a promise, but they gained approval by their faith. That's how they gained approval according to Hebrews 11, chapter 1. I mean, chapter uh, verse 1. So, when you think about faith being the currency of heaven, what, what does that possibly mean? Well, let's just talk about currency for a minute. Um, we have the U.S. dollar, which is still, uh, I guess, the biggest currency or most looked-to currency in the world. But currency has to be backed up by something to have value, right? And uh, it's actually fairly complicated what gives currency value. It's not gold. We used to have the gold standard but that went away like in the 1920s or 30s, something like that. And so what, what is actually backing up our currency or our dollar? Believe it or not, this is what actually backs up our dollar. It's pretty complicated in a way, but it's, it's, it's not actually backed up by gold, but rather it's estimated based upon money supply, and faith in the goods and services it produces in the future. So it really is based on faith. It's like our, our currency is actually backed up by faith, not by something you can actually tangibly get your hands on. It's, it's kind of the evidence of something hoped for, but it's still yet not seen. And as long as people believe that the dollar will buy goods and services in the future, then it has value. And then that's why currencies actually collapse. If you look around the world where currencies have collapsed, like uh, South Africa and some other nations where people actually were taking wheelbarrows full of cash, to buy a loaf of bread. And this is not new in history. You can find a story where it's it's like, uh, you know, something from a a donkey to buy an epiph of flour, you know. Just really crazy stuff. It was like in a famine time. And so currency actually collapses when there is no faith in the actual currency. You go, well, why, why are you bringing that up? Because our life in Jesus is really nothing without our faith. Faith is actually the beginning of our life in Jesus, and it actually is what sustains us through the entire time that we walk with the Lord. It's not an experience. It's not um, somebody else's good preach. It's not anything. It's really your faith. And so, I'm going to just look at a couple of scriptures here, especially concerning prayer. Every prayer that we pray is based upon faith to move heaven. And in Matthew 17:20, after they couldn't cast out the, the devil and the mute boy, you know, they said, uh, why couldn't we do this? And he said, because uh, this kind only comes out through fair prayer and fasting. But what followed that was, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Same thing is said in Luke chapter 17, after the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, increase our faith. And his answer to increase our faith was, if you have faith the grain of a mustard seed, And say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done for you, and nothing will be impossible for you. That was his answer to increase our faith. If you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed. So faith is not really, it's not based on what you can work up in your mind. It's not based upon what you can work up in your heart. It's based upon something that's backing it up, which is the blood of Jesus. That's what backs up your faith is the blood of Jesus. Not your experience, not your feelings, not your mental accruity to work up faith. None of that has anything to do with your faith. And that's why Jesus said, all you need is mustard seed faith, but you need faith. You don't need penny. You know, penny faith is as good as $100 faith, evidently, because it isn't really about the the amount of your faith. It's what your faith is in right? It's what your faith is in. And our faith has to be rooted and grounded in the blood of Jesus. How many of you have ever heard of Akiana, the artist? Well, quite a few of you. I actually uh, visited with Akiana twice in her home with her parents years ago and got to see some of her paintings in process and some she had in the basement that, you know, many of them were not for sale at that time. Uh, She just didn't really want to let go of them. She was very young. She was still a teenager at that time. She's in her 20s now, late 20s, but just a, she's an amazing young lady. And uh, her testimony, which uh, maybe I should get to that later, but she had this one painting that was so beautiful, and it was sitting off to the side. And I said, "What? What is that?" She said, "And the painting was this. It was a canyon with a beautiful river that was running." from this amazing source of light and beauty. And it was running through this canyon from that amazing source of light and beauty. And as it was coming forth, there were birds that were flying up the river canyon. And some of the birds were flying right into the light, and some of the birds were falling into the river. And, you know, some were hitting the wall, and some were just falling into the river. And so I said, well, what what is that? Can you explain this to me? And she said, those are the prayers of God's people. And she said, the prayers that are getting through into the heavens are prayers that are being prayed in faith. But the ones that are not being prayed in faith are falling into the river or hitting the wall. I was like, wow. (laughs) That's a pretty astute observation for a teenage girl. So... I believe that what she's saying is true. And, it's, and again, it's not the amount of faith you have. It's what your faith is in. The value is in what the blood of Jesus actually bought for us when He died and was resurrected. Here's uh, seven things, but there, there's probably many more. But here's seven things that Jesus took to the grave. The first one is poverty, and I'm not going to go long in this because every one of them actually deserves a full message, but the first thing that Jesus, that in the list, and this is not in any order, it's just an order I put them in, but Jesus took poverty to the grave. Now, I know there's a lot of criticism about the way people take offerings and what ministers do with their money and all that kind of stuff today, and. Some of that criticism is certainly uh, deserved and valid, but don't be deceived into thinking that God wants you poor, that God wants you to live in poverty. Otherwise, why would we have all of these different organizations trying to help people, and many of them not doing very well today in certain cities, either that or there's just, you know, governmentally it's, it's such a mess that there's, it can't be done. But why why would there be all that effort and why would Jesus say, you know, to to uh that he came to help the poor also in Luke four eighteen? Why would we do that if God wanted us poor? Like like we're going to be more sanctified and holy if we're poor. That doesn't make any sense. We help people get out of poverty. And so God does that's what, one of the things that God actually took to the grave. It says in Second Corinthians eight nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through your through his poverty you might become rich. Now he's not just speaking monetarily here, but he's speaking in every way. God wants us to be rich in every way possible, to basically show in a world that is full of sickness, poverty, and all those kinds of things, that his own people actually are on the right path and giving a testimony of his grace and power and glory. Second thing Jesus took to the grave was sickness of spirit, soul, and body. In Isaiah uh, 53, 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter quotes that in uh, his writings also as an apostle later on. And so we often, and we just had a, a testimony that was put out even on our Facebook page, but I think it would be better to hear from you, uh, your own in your own words, your testimony and in your own time, you know, when you want to do it, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh Davenport was healed of uh, a knee problem that was really bad. How you doing anyway? He's doing great. So there it is. she testified. It's great. Your testimony is so powerful. And publicly, there's a reason to do that and declare it. It's like a prophecy. But uh, so we see healing and we often pray for healing, not because of an anointing on us or I'm anointed to heal. I have the gift of healing. I mean, come on, which is it? Is the gift of healing the person who's praying for the sick or the person who gets healed? They got the gift. Which is not Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, but sometimes we get caught up in personality too much, is what I'm saying. And it really isn't about that. It's really about what Jesus did to afford for us. He took sickness, spirit, soul, and body to the grave. And so we can believe for healing. And I I bet everybody in this room has wrestled with, oh, man, so-and-so didn't get healed. My loved one didn't get healed. They went home to be with the Lord. Or somebody else got, you know, we prayed for. They didn't get healed. All that kind of stuff. And we get, you know, we begin to dwell on that. But that's a, a big mistake. We should be dwelling upon the truth of God instead of dwelling on, you know, wins and losses. The kingdom isn't about wins and losses. It's really about our life in Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. And so I remember when I was probably the sickest I've ever been for a year and a half, and I got to a point, you know, where I didn't want to pray for the sick. And, you know, mostly because of my pitiful condition and the way I felt personally internally, and the Lord actually spoke to me in one of our services and said, Denny, when did I tell you to stop praying for the sick? I said, get up and go pray for the sick, because people had been invited up to be prayed for, and I just sat there. And so I went up to pray for the sick. You know, what happened really isn't the issue. The issue is like, are you going to be obedient to what my word says, or are you going to just go based upon what you're feeling right now? in your own personal experience. And we can do that with a lot of things. And faith has nothing to do with our personal experience or somebody else's personal experience. It has to do with what we know to be true based upon the Word of God and the blood of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus Himself. Third thing, Jesus took broken hearts to the grave. You're like, what? Really? Really? Yeah, in Luke 4.18, he said he's been anointed to bring good news to the poor because he has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed. I hope some folks got some freedom this morning. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And uh, to heal the brokenhearted. And so, Jesus actually was anointed to do certain things. And those things that He did were a declaration really and a prophetic picture of what was to come when He actually shed His blood and was a sacrifice for sins and went to the grave and was resurrected. And so when He came up out of the grave, everything that He demonstrated on the earth that is for us in His own life is for us now who believe. Just like it says in John chapter 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do because I go to the Father in even greater works. Fourth thing that Jesus took to the grave was blindness, spiritual and physical, to give recovery of sight to the blind. He healed the blind often. How many of you have ever seen a blind eye healed? In Oh yeah, okay. You're talking about yourself? Oh, okay. Well, what's your friend's name? Beverly. Let's pray right now. Stand up and let's pray for Beverly. Father, we come to You right now on on behalf of Beverly, not because of anything in us, but because of the blood of Your Son Jesus and what He did for us When he gave his own life, Lord, as a sacrifice for sin and shed his own blood on the cross. And Lord, we just, we ask right now for total and complete healing of blindness for Beverly in the name of Jesus. And we trust you, Father, to not only hear a prayer today, but also to answer it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll wait for the report been a long time since i you know i i prayed for a, a lot of people and it was a long time before i ever saw a blind eye open but when i was in Mozambique or was in malawi with heidi baker several years ago um, i was teaching us in a school for their brand new pastors who'd only been saved for like months and they would come to the school and then they go back to their village and be the leader of the new church and uh these guys were so hungry it was amazing and so then when Heidi and Roland finally showed up and they had sort of a crusade style thing going on, one of the guys in the school came up to Heidi and I partway through, uh, you know, one of the ministry times and, and found us and said, um, I see men walking like trees, <laughs> just like it says in the Bible. And I said, well, who are you? And he said, I was in the school. And when, When we we were in the school, all of a sudden I could see men walking like trees. And so Heidi said, well, let's pray for you to get full sight. And so we prayed for the guy, and instantly his eye cleared up. It was like white. And it was like, no you know, we didn't see anything happen. It was just like one minute it's this way, and the next moment it was the other way. And he starts crying, and we looked at his eye, and it was clear, and he starts jumping up and down. And he said, I can't wait to get back to my village because they called me the one-eyed man that was poked out with a stick. And he said, when I go home and I have my eye healed, he said, many people will come to Jesus. And so that was the first time I saw a blind eye healed. But I'm not saying that to just talk about, you know, past testimonies. I'm saying that Jesus still heals today based upon his word, based upon his blood, He still does what He does, regardless of what happens to people that we pray for that maybe don't get healed or it isn't the situation that we were looking for. Amen? Okay, the next thing that Jesus took to the grave is demonic oppression. To set free those who are oppressed. And today, I wasn't really thinking about this in particular, but I really felt like God wanted to... Just relieve people from accusation and oppression that comes with that. Anybody feel better this morning? (laughs) I know I did ask after the worship time. You should feel better just after the worship time, you know. Yeah? All right. Good. The sixth thing is separation from the Father through sin. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near, what? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that has brought us near to God. You feel His presence today in manifestation because, not because, and I know good worship uh, certainly is an avenue and a pathway, but it's really not even because of that that you feel the presence. It's because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has brought you near to God. And so... Whether you're just singing your own song on the way home or you're communing with God or whatever you're doing or you come into a situation that God has put you in where you know that you need God and you call upon God instantly, His presence is there for you. The last thing here I'll just uh, make note of, like I said, there's probably more things Jesus took to the grave, but it's death itself. You know we're in this tension last week, uh, Benny Johnson passed away, <clears throat> like uh other situations that many of us are aware of in our own uh you know experience and journey, lots of prayer for people you know contending for them to live that ultimately went home to be with Jesus, right There's a tension between the now and the not yet, and uh it actually speaks of this. In 1 Corinthians. Um, But before I get to to that, I want to just share with you from Hebrews. Man, don't you love the book of Hebrews? It's just so rich. It's just unbelievable the richness of the book of Hebrews all the way through. And so much of it is about faith and belief and about the new covenant and what it has done for us. But it says in Hebrews 2.14, therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy him who has the power of of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. This very verse, years and years ago, set me free from the fear of death. Even though I was a Christian, just because of the unknown about it, not knowing what that experience will be like and all of that, the enemy had played with my mind to where I I had a fairly significant fear of death as a young Christian. But when I found this in the Word, I was like, wow, Jesus destroyed that. He defeated him who had the power of death and was keeping me in slavery. I don't have to fear death. Nobody has to fear death in Jesus and so in 1 Corinthians, it, it goes into that. The fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep <clears throat> or dead. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And also, for as in also Adam, all die in Adam, so also in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order. order. Christ the firstfruits, then after that, those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God, the Father, and abolished, and he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And here it is. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is no friend. Death is an enemy. And so it's awkward. That's why I think we feel so awkward about death, both at somebody else's passing and our own thoughts about it for ourselves someday, you know, uh, being just as sure as the government is going to make you pay taxes, you know, just as sure as that we're all going to physically die someday unless we're in that company of people at the Lord's coming that never die, which would be great. We never have to experience death, but most people will. And so, but we don't have to fear it. It's not a friend, it's an enemy, and it's actually something that will be completely abolished at the coming of the Lord. It's not completely abolished now. That's why we have this tension of the now and the not yet. And some of our prayers for people that we contended for to continue to live, it, wasn't, it didn't happen, you know. And, of course, like Bill Johnson said only three days after Benny's passing, you know, we need to believe in mystery too and respect mystery in all of this concerning our faith in Jesus and not really dictate to God what he should do. He used the term that uh, I think something like uh, he's not a vending machine, you know. The way that I've put it in the past is he's not a bellhop. It's like, do this, do that, God, because I told you to. That's not God. That's that's a a selfish, humanistic way of approaching God. That's certainly not approaching His Lordship in any kind of way with respect or honor. So that's the last enemy to be destroyed. I want to just... And this is a pretty quick message today. I just want to... uh, kind of wrap this up with talking about testimony. I feel like, you know, and I believe what you're saying is true, Karen, about the love of God and the love that uh, we're not only going to experience but other people will experience from us in the days ahead. And people are actually waiting for this, you guys. People everywhere are waiting for this. And I know many of us think, i'm not an evangelist so you know i don't really feel like it's my place to go seek people out share the gospel with people you don't have to do that give your testimony if you if your testimony is true if you put your faith and trust in jesus and jesus changed your life and he's in you you have a testimony that is very, very powerful. And actually, our testimony is often the most powerful thing that we can share with people who don't know Christ. They're waiting to, for an answer in life that's different than what's being offered from a woke world and a weird world today. Just putting it bluntly. I mean, if if I wasn't a believer today, I I'm not sure what i would do to be honest with you it just it just is so crazy what's going on in our world and i don't know how people who are not believers function unless they just go to the dark side and jump on that side to go punish everybody who doesn't think like them but your testimony is so powerful for people who are looking for an answer you don't have to convince people or argue people into the kingdom. Simply share the love of God in your testimony with people. And it says in Revelation 12, I'll, I'll read this, and I want to talk about it just a little bit. I know it by heart, but I'll read it in. This is from Revelation 12:11 It says and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and did not love their lives to the death. Another way to say that is they didn't love their lives in the face their own lives in the face of death. And what is this talking about? It's talking about now the dragon the serpent of old the devil Satan who deceives the whole world has been cast out to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. He's been cast down. And how do we overcome the accuser of the brethren? Not just with a prayer... That has anointing on it, like we did today, although I believe that that's valid. But we do it by the blood of Jesus, by our faith in the blood of Jesus. Going back to the beginning, remember, faith is your currency in heaven. Heaven believes you because of your faith. Heaven responds to you because of your faith. It doesn't have to be great faith. It can be mustard seed faith. But heaven responds to your prayers. Heaven responds to your declarations. Heaven responds to you and I because of our faith. What is our faith in? It's in the blood of Jesus. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in another man or another woman or what they say. Our faith is in the shed blood of Jesus died and rose again, and we were singing, I don't know, maybe it was a word somebody shared about mercy recently, I don't know, it's on my mind, the mercy of God. But do you remember in the Gospels where Jesus then died and said he gave up his spirit and he went into heaven? Well, there was an actual sign on the earth when he went into heaven that the curtain which is as thick as a Los Angeles phone book which keeps you know, separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple or tabernacle that was made in the past, uh, first by Moses in the wilderness, and then in the temple that they constructed which was later torn down. That temple had a curtain in the Holy of Holies which nobody could go in there except through sacrifices of blood. And that once a year by an appointed priest, and so they don't do. I don't, have you ever looked up? Do Jews do animal sacrifice anymore? How many of you know the answer to that? Whether the Jews do it, they don't. The Jews do not actually do this animal sacrifice anymore. You know why? Because there's no temple. It was only ascribed to the temple. And so later on, when they had synagogues, they stopped doing animal sacrifices. And actually, they only did them even in the temple for a while because of the teachings of the Pharisees and so forth. And, I mean, I'm talking about after Christ, you know, the temple before uh, Jerusalem, it fell in 70 A.D. When that temple came down, there was no more uh, animal sacrifice from that point on. Besides, Peter would get on your case if he did it anyway. So, But there is no more animal sacrifice, thank God. But leading up to that until the time that Jesus died and rose again, God required blood to enter into the Holy of Holies. And so Jesus, when he went up into heaven, that curtain it actually tore in two, it says. Thick as a Los Angeles phone book. It ripped into the veil between, really, heaven and earth. And so then Jesus went up and took His own blood and put it on the mercy seat. And that was a sign that happened on earth after He did it. What's in there also is called the Ark of the Covenant, but it's called the Ark of Testimony, more than it's called the Ark of Covenant. So what are we actually looking at when we look at the Ark of Testimony? And what does that actually mean? Testimony means report or witness, and it actually also means what you actually take as a testimony before a judge to get a verdict. So your testimony in the blood of Jesus is what you actually take before the throne of God when you pray. And you don't have to go before the throne of God to pray. I know some people say they do, and that's fine. But you don't have to do that when you pray. God hears your prayers if they're in faith. And if your faith is in the blood of Jesus, you're taking the testimony of Jesus before the throne of heaven, before the judge of the righteous judge of all eternity. And he's hearing your prayer, he's hearing your declaration. He's hearing your plea. You don't, and he's not like that unrighteous judge. It says, in Luke, uh, in the story in Luke, where the widow woman went before the judge and she just kept pestering and pestering and says, "Well, because you're wearing me out, I'll give you the verdict." And it says, "Hear what the unrighteous judge says: Will God not avenge the, His His uh, saints who cry out to Him speedily?" And the reason is is because you don't have to to, uh, beg God. You don't have to cajole God. You don't have to bargain with God. All God is looking for is the testimony of Jesus in your prayer, which is your prayer of faith. Are you getting this? Your prayer of faith is the testimony of Jesus. And when you pray in faith, You're taking before the righteous judge of all eternity your prayer and it's going before the throne of heaven. And he says he'll answer you speedily because he's a righteous judge. He's not like the unrighteous judge. He's the very opposite of that. Your Father in heaven is very concerned about everything that concerns you and me. And he hears every prayer and faith that we pray But our faith has to be not, again, in faith in man or your own faith, but the blood of Jesus. I hope this is in some way helpful. I don't know. (laughs) Here's some of the ramifications as we close here, some of the ramifications of the blood of Jesus. We have confidence, it says in Hebrews 10.9, to enter the holy place. We have confidence to do that. You don't have to have an experience or an encounter or work through some principle or pathway to go before the throne of God. You have instant access and entrance to the throne of heaven and confidence to enter there for one reason, by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 12.24, And Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, and to that which was sprinkled with blood, with speech of a better covenant, and speaks better than the blood of Abel. <clears throat> That's sort of a mysterious thing to say, better than the blood of Abel. But that was the first time that this whole issue about blood came came up was when Abel was killed by Cain and his blood cried out to God for justice. Hebrews 9.14 When Christ appeared as a high priest of good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not that made with human hands, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time. Once for all time. Never has to happen again. It's done. It's finished. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling would have, of those who have been defiled, would sanctify and cleanse them, their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ. Through the eternal spirit offered him, who offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Again, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience to serve the living God. We were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ from Peter. 1 John, but if we who walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and... The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, He will keep you as well. We have the peace of God you know, Jesus said, My peace I give to you to his own disciples, but he's still saying it today because of his blood. He still gives us the same peace that he gave his early disciples. And then Revelation one five it says Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the king ruler and of the kings and of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his own blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. It's powerful. There's power in the blood. And we we don't really... You know, it's not fashionable to talk about the blood of Jesus these days, is it? It's like, ah, that sounds icky, you know? No, it's... Your faith doesn't mean anything without the blood of Jesus. Our faith is just our faith. But with, G, but with the blood of Jesus, it's His faith. It's the faith of Jesus. And it actually says that in uh, Galatians. that, uh, where Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we who have believed in Jesus. It's the faith of Jesus that redeemed us. It's the faith of Jesus. What am I saying when I say the faith of Jesus? You mean it's not my faith? It's your faith because of the faith of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus. It's His testimony that gives our testimony such power. When we give our testimony, it's the blood backing up Our testimony, if it's a real testimony. I'm just saying, you know, if we make stuff up, that doesn't do any good. But if we actually have a testimony that involves Christ's deliverance, His healing, His salvation, His cleansing your conscience from sin, anything that has to do with what the blood did, anything the blood did that you testify that it had happened in you, the blood of Jesus is bearing witness to your testimony and it's His testimony. And it's powerful. So you don't necessarily need to be the greatest evangelist in the world to help people get to Jesus. You just need to bear witness to what Jesus has done in your life and the blood of Jesus will back it up. I'm praying that the people will have the courage in a couple weeks when we get out there in the city to just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when people share with you You know, what they're going through, this or that. You have a testimony of overcoming by the blood of the Lamb. Give your testimony. Even in the face of what looks like death to you, to have to speak to somebody you don't know. It's like, ah, I'd rather die. No, get get courage and just do it. Just do it like Nike. Just do it. Because there's victory in it. That's what Nike means, by the way, is victory. You didn't know that. Anyway, let's just stand and uh, thank God for the blood of Jesus as we depart. How many of you like the blood of Jesus a little better now? How many are thankful you don't have to sacrifice goats and heifers and What a bloody mess this place would be. Thank God we don't have to do any of that stuff. Thank God for Jesus. Lord, we just thank you this morning that you loved us so much that we were your first love. We love not because of anything in us, but you loved us first. And you came and you gave your only love. Son, Jesus, you gave your life as the only Son of God on our behalf so that we could be near to you, have relationship with you, be set free from our sins, be healed in our bodies, be set free from oppression, get out of poverty. All of these things, Lord, that we talked about this morning, Lord, is all because of your sacrifice and your shed blood, Jesus. Jesus, we just want to thank you as we go this morning. We say thank you, Jesus, for for going all the way to the cross and finishing the job, shedding your own blood for us. We don't take it lightly, Lord, and it is our testimony before you and before men. We bless you today, God. and pray that our testimony, Lord, will be powerful in these days because of your Son and because of your blood. Amen. God bless you guys. You've been listening to Connection Life Ministries podcast. It is our honor and privilege to partner with others from around the world in a joint effort to get the Word of God to you. If you would like more information or have questions, feel free to email us at Ministries at yahoo.com.